talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Diana Weeks is in the newsroom. Will Erskine is on the board. The Prime Minister said he has sent enough vaccines and tests to all of the provinces. Then why does every single province need more? Here's Scott Thompson! Let's get back to the pub crawl. Yeah! Good afternoon, it is 3.09. I'm Scott Thompson. It's Hamilton Today, 900 CHML and Hamilton 980 CFPL in London. Thanks for joining us. Jump into the pub crawl. Jump into the fun. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221, star 9900 on the cell. Uh, you know, it's obvious. I'm not sure who picks it when it becomes an Arkell song. Could Because it, it could easily be Will or it could easily be uh, Diana. It was Will uh, today. All Will. It was all Will. I remember we were uh, talking to Max about this song about a year ago, and uh, we were talking about how, um, well, he was talking about how this whole song started, and and Diana, you can jump in. You're you're more the fan than I am. Not that, no, that didn't sound right. You're the younger Uh fan here. You're the younger (laughs) fan here. You are the younger fan here. Yeah. So, but but they, they obviously, uh, when the band uh, was growing up here and, and, you know, Mac and whatever and, and living, uh, you know, on uh, on the street and such, uh, they would go at this time of the year, not living on the street, on the street that, that bears their name, uh, that they would go from pub to pub to pub and it sort of became uh, an ongoing thing from that for them, an ongoing tradition, and hence we have the song that we have there. Is that accurate, Diana? I think so, although the video is completely filmed in downtown Toronto, but... <laughs> <laughs> you get the well, gist. Yeah. You get the gist. But it's a very cute video. I mean, it's, uh, you know, they're all kind of doing the COVID thing. And yeah, yeah it, it really speaks to the times. It's well, a heart t- <laughs> tugs on the heartstrings a bit. Because if no we one can... saw the video, it was uh, Max dancing around pretty much on his own in the empty streets with cardboard cutouts yeah, of all cutouts, his buddies. Right. Yeah, yeah it, it was kind stuff. of sad. Yeah. yeah really. <laughs> well, we, maybe we could have a part two or part three as this all uh, progresses. I think uh, everyone. Progresses. If I ever take time off from work, I will make sure there is a cardboard cutout of me here for you, Will. Oh, that's you. good. Yeah. That's well, there my you gift. go. Now, uh, we, you know, we pull the string on the back. Uh, says good afternoon. Like a nutcracker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, after watching uh, Max and the Arkells do their thing uh on uh with the halftime show at gray cup and then seeing max up in the booth i could see uh that band ending up doing some sort of tv thing has anybody thought about that i could easily see because he is the charisma to carry it off when he was up in the booth with the uh like an old school christmas variety show yeah i could see that i could totally see a cbc thing happening here you know i mean they did that one uh with their campfire chords in the last summer which was great and you really saw their personality shine there especially max and uh, that was really nice you know it was filmed at that farm they were at and uh, that was really lovely but yeah so there's no, totally. a precedent so br- break out all the fake snow and put it on the sound t- stage is it any different than watching Anne murray back in the day i was gonna say version of that 
It's yeah. like modern day hee haw. Sure, why not? Uh, you know, it's funny. It, it's it's hard to believe. Uh, I've been back here uh, sixteen years or so, and it was about that time, way back when, this band was forming and would come on the show and and talk about the fame and what have you. And here it is. Look at the years that have passed and how much uh, this band has progressed and continued to stay on top and flourish. It's uh, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. Well, now- and again. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I just want to say that ties into why I picked this song specifically for today, uh, Scott, just as a marker of fame and everything. I mean, on one hand, we were talking yesterday about how we need more modern, contemporary Christmas tunes from new bands and everything, so we needed this. But <laughs> Or as, maybe we just have to go looking for them, to is what look, you're exactly, suggesting. Exactly. I was thinking, actually, that was the first thing I hit my forehead. Maybe it's like, why do we leave them Get out from our hole out? here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, as of today, this song is now available on all platforms because last year this was an exclusive to amazon music that was requested of them to create and it's like yeah what type of level are you when it's like hey we'd like you to make one christmas song but only we get to have it for a year that's the level of fame these boys are at now yeah boy uh, but now we all, ju- now it's free for everyone. That's not what Amazon said when I pitched my Christmas song. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, the kids will be joining us around the big round table coming up after the 4.30 news. Uh, you want to hang around for that. And if you want to throw something on the table uh, to jaw, uh, send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. We tried everything we could uh, to open the show and not talk about you know what. All right. Uh, you know, we've uh, we've talked to Paul Delaney on on many occasions over the years uh, in, in regard to things that are floating around in space or coming towards us or, or just uh, a very passionate man when it comes to uh, what, where we're going and the next frontier and what we're up to in space and has always managed to uh, to take the very, very complicated and the very, very uh, scientific and bring it down to a level where, where even I can understand. And we love him for that. And uh He's he's retiring soon. Uh, let's bring in Paul Delaney, the Alan Carswell Chair uh, for Public Understanding of Astronomy, uh, University Professor, York University, with us now. Paul, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. As always, Scott. Always nice to chat with you. So, Paul, I'm watching uh, you on uh, the news the other night because you were, like, everywhere talking about, you know, with the great big giant telescope behind you, and and you're talking about all the things that you love. And then I heard them say that you were retiring. I'm thinking, how can that possibly be? So is this all true, Paul? It is. You only have to ask my wife for confirmation of that. <laughs> <laughs> enough of the space thing, Paul. There's enough here happening down here on Earth we have to deal with. Uh, she's, she's got a long list. There's no question in the world. And we want to go off and do things without the, the pressure of classes and committees and so on. So the time has come to hang up my telescope. Good for you. Well, congratulations to you and, and all of the best. And again, we will miss you dearly. Uh, let me keep going on this theme. What first got you interested in this? How did you end up doing what you're doing? Well, if you read my grade five report card, my teacher of the time <laughs> commented very specifically on my understanding and love of the solar system, planets in the solar system. So I, the answer to your question is, I've always been interested. I can't finger a moment in time where I said, aha, I want to be an astronomer. From my perspective, I always wanted to be an astronomer. There was never anything that I wanted to be other than an astronomer from the earliest age. And I sort of got a little bit uh, determined and didn't take no for an answer. And well, the rest, they say, is history. I've been an astronomer 
amateur and professional, as far as I'm concerned, all my life. Uh, always astronomy or ever ever the, the want, the need to fly? I, well, I did parachute jump, uh, much to my parents' <laughs> chagrin. <laughs> but my eyesight is not all that swift when all is said and done. So I could never uh, get a pilot's license. And even parachuting was a little bit of a dangerous endeavor, but I did it anyway. Uh, so, you know, I, I've, I've had to stay with the telescope, with the observing, uh, you know, what better magnifying glass than a telescope, really, uh, enjoying the night sky, understanding the night sky, and bringing that love to my students. I mean, when all is said and done, it's not just the fact that I like to do astronomy. I bring everybody along for the ride, and I've had some fabulous students work with me over the decades at York. To them, you know, tip of the hat, I, I've enjoyed their experiences as much as my own as they have gone on to do terrific things in astronomy. I'm sure you have inspired many. As you look back at, you know, when you really started focusing on this, so if you even want to go back to grade five and where you are now, is, is it possible to look over that, that time span that you've been exploring and discovering space and try to point out what stands out as, as the most momentous occasion, the biggest thing, the biggest discovery, the biggest feat? Can you do that, or are there just too many things that have been happening since, you know, the Apollo series and all of that, Mercury? Well, it, it, I would say it's impossible. Simply because over the last you know, 65 years, my entire life, look at what has changed about our understanding. I mean, we've gone into the space age. You know, I was born just prior to the space age. I've lived the vast majority of my life in the space age. And you and I have spoken at length about the discoveries, the engineering achievements and so on uh, that have been associated with space flight. When we look at telescopes. It started out with five meter telescopes. We've now got 10 meter telescopes. We're building 30 meter telescopes. The, the reach that the instrumentations have achieved over the last you know, 40 years in particular. I, I grew up in a universe where we thought there was going to be a big crunch. Well, now we're expanding yeah. the acceleration of fundamental things have changed in that 60 years. So it's it's really impossible to say one thing. But but I will finger Mars. When mm. I was growing up, science fiction loved to think about Mars as a world that you and I could go to and sort of step out of the spaceship and, and romp around and go fishing and so on and so forth. Mars is nothing like that. <laughs> that planet yeah. has changed dramatically from fiction to fact over the 60 years. And with all of the rovers that are on Mars today, the, the, the exploration continues, the change of our understanding of that planet changes. So I'm going to think of Mars as perhaps the single most diverse change that has taken place in my lifetime did space travel uh, because you know in the last couple of years it's all the last little bit it's all about space travel and people going up and in the elon musks of the world and whoever taking people up to the edge and such uh did that happen as quickly as you thought it would no not at all i grew up in the space race with star trek with lost in space we were on the moon by 69 there was an expectation that we would yeah. be colonizing, that's perhaps the wrong word, settling the moon during the 1970s. Instead, we saw Skylab in 73, and after that, NASA tended to lose its way a little bit. The space shuttle, as remarkable a device as that was, really did not achieve what was anticipated in the 70s. Mm. It was meant to be reusable on an almost weekly basis. It was meant to be cost-effective 
none of that happened. We got stuck in low Earth orbit for 30 years. As I said, the shuttle was a great instrument. Don't get me wrong. But it didn't further human spaceflight in a way that we were expecting it to in the late 60s. So uh, we, we didn't get near as far as we wanted to in my lifetime. Uh, let's talk about this new telescope. Uh, those of those that are old enough to remember the Hubble tele- uh, Space Telescope that it will be uh, replacing, I understand, uh, and, and it had some issues. So how has it changed since then? What's the significance of this James, uh, James Webb Space Telescope? That's right. I'm just, just going to call it JWST for short. It's, it's really not replacing Hubble. It's the successor to Hubble. And I right. say that because the area of the electromagnetic spectrum where the JWST is going to be looking is in the infrared. And that gives it terrific advantages in terms of looking back to literally the edge of time, to the beginning of our universe, to be able to probe through our galaxy, cutting through the dust clouds and so on, to be able to look at exoplanets. It will do things that Hubble just simply cannot do. And it will be doing it from a vantage point about one and a half million kilometers away from Earth. Hubble has been phenomenal. It's, it's really lived beyond expectations and continues to operate very, very well, despite a couple of glitches this year. But JWST is going to open up many new windows, not the least of which is its large 6.5 metre diameter uh, collecting area. Hubble is only two and a half metres. So JWST collects more information. It is far more sensitive back to the edge of time. It has got a terrific vantage point where Earth is not going to get in its way uh, and so on. So in many ways, not a replacement, but a successor to Hubble. So we remember there were some issues with Hubble when it uh, first started operation way back when that was corrected. How much more advanced is this one? I mean, is this night and day? Pretty well. Think about uh, your cell phone that you had or didn't in 1990 versus yeah. today. I mean, that's yeah. perhaps the, the, the best way to characterize the advance. Hubble, as I said, has been updated courtesy of that space shuttle we were talking about before. So the instrumentation improved over the first 20 years. It's been frozen since the last shuttle flight uh, in 2007, 2008, or thereabouts for the repair missions. Uh, but it was able to keep going and evolving. It's frozen now, but JWST has got 30 years worth of terrific advancements. And you know what we will be able to do with the JWST will literally <laughs> knock your socks off. It, it'll be phenomenal what we are going to see from this telescope and you know the canadians are right there in the forefront that's the other really exciting thing about jwst we've got guaranteed time on this telescope we have contributed instruments the fine guidance sensor there are people all across this country who are going to get access to that data almost from the get-go and that means canada is in one of the best possible seats Mm. for helping to unravel some of the mysteries of the universe Paul Delaney with us, Alan Carswell, Chair for Public Understanding of Astronomy, University Professor at York University, at least until the end of the year. And Paul, thank you so much for everything you've done to bring the understanding of way up there to to down here that we can all understand. And hopefully we'll get to chat again uh, in the new year. Uh, and, And until then, enjoy retirement and keep looking up. I will, absolutely. And I look forward to speaking with you in 2022. Once an astronomer, always an astronomer, Scott. Oh, that's great to hear. All right, let's head down to the U.S. and see what's going on down there when it comes to politics and COVID and all that sort of stuff. Brian J. Karam is with us, political analyst for CNN, White House reporter and host of Just Ask the Question podcast. He is with us now, but uh, not from Washington, but from uh, Los Angeles. Brian, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. 
Doing well. Merry, 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 and happy, happy to you. Back at you. Thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Give us a bit of an update on uh, what it's like, what the buzz is down in uh, the states in regard to COVID-19, booster vaccines, and, and, and Omicron and all that. Well, depending on where you are, the outbreak of Omicron is heaviest in the Midwest, and we've got uh, the continuing problems that uh, Biden addressed in his in his latest speech is there are people that just flat out won't get vaccinated, and instead of offering beers uh, as we did in the previous months, uh, the president came out earlier this week and said, "Listen, for those of you who are vaccinated, have a you know very merry Christmas and have a good holiday season, and for those of you who aren't vaccinated." you're going to be greeted with, you know, uh, suffering and perhaps death. I mean, it's that dire. Uh, there are people who simply refuse to accept that the vaccinations are the best way to best course of action in treating the virus. And it's become such a political issue in this country that science has been uh, forgotten in this uh, infernal quest for a political division. And it's even gotten so bad that when Former President Donald Trump said, look, I got my my boost. He got a booster. He, he was booed by his own crowd. So how do you square that circle? Um, because and I remember when he said he was vaccinated before he'd been. It's not the first time he's been booed for this. Now, all of a sudden, he's obviously he's getting booed for his booster. How do you how do you boo the man uh, and then put him up on a pedestal? Well, the, the big problem with Trump is that he called it a hoax. Then he said he developed the, the uh, uh, vaccine, but don't take it because it's a hoax. You don't need to. And then he took it, and now he's been boosted. He's been boosted, and there are people who are screaming, uh, you know, that you know he's a sellout, and the QAnon and the anti-vaxxers are all screaming that the best way to deal with it is to, uh, you know, drink chlorine. So let them. So is he losing uh, credibility among his base, among that base? Well. Trump has lost a lot of credibility since he left office, and uh, he continues to lose it among his hardcore supporters. Uh, they are dwindling, but they are there, and they're still a, a, a violently you know, uh, ignorant group of people who are intent on screaming at the top of their lungs like an eight-year-old, and they're going to keep doing that. Biden actually, uh, obviously having problem getting his Build Back Better plan through. Joe Manchin, his own uh, party, giving him uh, grief along the way. Where is this going? What's the problem? Well, I, the, this is negotiations is all it is. It's blue smoke yeah. and mirrors. Manchin marched out and said, hey, I, you know, I can't support this. And he's been saying that for a while. Then the White House came back and slammed him, took him to the woodshed for you know, coming out and blind signing the president. Then on Monday, when I asked Jen Psaki in a press briefing, I said, look, you took him out to the woodshed. Are you going to let him back in the fold? She goes, oh, absolutely. So it's all negotiation. It's all a tactic. They're going to find a common ground. And Biden even said as much um, uh, yesterday in, when he was in the East Room. He said, Joe Manchin and I will get it done. So the negotiations aren't done. I'm going to bet the old time, the two old polls in America hmm. Those two old politicians are going to work out a deal. And this is politics as it used to be done in Washington. It, you know, if they, you find common ground. It's the art of half a loaf. Uh, so I have a lot of faith in that they both will find uh, common ground and get something done. Maybe everyone will learn from that. Uh, how do you explain Biden's slip in popularity? 
Biden's slip in popularity is due to the fact that he, while he's done a pretty good job, his communications uh, team stinks. I mean, they they're they're arrogant, they are um, ignorant, and they are convinced of the rightness of their cause, but can't convince anyone else because they don't know how to to, to publicize what it is that Biden is doing. I mean, one of the things that Trump they, they should have learned from Donald Trump is the repetition. Have we lost Brian? We have lost Brian in Los Angeles instead of Washington. All right, there you go. I have a feeling he's on vacation, so uh, what the heck. We'll, we'll thank him for that. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900CHML. A reminder, 900CHML.com, all you need to know in regard to the CHML Christmas Tree of Hope campaign and the CHML Children's Fund. Uh, it, it's been a bizarre year again this year, but, man, we start, we got a lot in under the wire before things started to go uh, sideways with the old Omicron and such. So uh, still uh, a way uh, ways for you to help us help the kids. And if uh, you can at all between now and right up to Christmas Eve, 900CHML.com, just click on the link to the CHML Children's Fund and you will find out uh, all the situation, everything in regard to do uh, with the fund. And it has been an incredible year, even though uh, another sort of abbreviated version of it just finished another uh, three centiliter day with Pioneer uh, a while ago, uh, just uh, two two Wednesdays ago, I guess it was, uh, at this point, and raised uh just from that alone. So again, thanks everybody, including our our big clients like Pioneer and Leggett who have done so much to to help us help the kids and keep this thing alive. I mean, obviously what we do is collect as much money as we can and then funnel it out to various children's charities. 100% of what goes in goes back out the door, whether it's money or or toys or what have you. So uh, again, thanks so much for everybody who's who's helped us out again this year and uh, the 40 or so children Children's charities that benefit when you make a contribution to the CHML Children's Fund. And of course, all the details waiting for you at 900CHML.com. All right, in case you know, in case you didn't notice, uh, Pub Crawl by the Arkells was the top hour tune. Uh, the kids picked it, of course, because uh, we're trying to do anything except talk about COVID. And uh, it was interesting because uh, Will has pulled up some uh, a piece of an interview, which we did with Max Kerman from the Arkells a year ago, uh, in regard to this song and what it was about and how how it all uh, started for them and where the concept came for the song. And obviously then uh, having to sort of do a COVID version of it where, you know, which you obviously see in the video you've seen online. Uh, here's a clip of that interview of Max Kerman of the Arkells talking about the ideas behind Pub Crawl. Okay, so basically the song is about, you know, coming home from the holidays, catching up with old friends, and then we do the sort of 12 pubs of Christmas where we start off, uh, it, it all takes place in Hamilton, and, uh, you know, we'll hit the ship or odds or all the, all the bars down James Street, uh, and we play credit card roulette, which essentially is everybody throws their credit card into a hat, and the last two people have to pick up the bill, and there's usually about 15 or 20 people. <laughs> so uh, it, it's very sort of nerve-wracking as the cards are being pulled out because you're hoping that you don't have to pay. And some years you can get away without paying at all, and some years you can get dinged a couple times. But, um, yeah, that happens. It's, it's one drink per bar, typically. And we, at the end of the night, we, we get to five-star, which isn't a typical bar that we go to. But, uh, but they're, they're used to seeing us uh, same time, same place every year. And that, that's, where, that's where the crawl ends. And everyone's in particularly good spirits then. 
And if you've seen the video at all for this, uh, obviously, uh, due to COVID last year, uh, cardboard cutouts were <laughs> was left to, uh, I guess, uh, uh, convey the image. Uh, here's what Max had to say about the cutouts. Doing anything in uh, in the pandemic has, has been really hard. You have to think on on these ideas and really work through them to make sure that they're safe and that uh, you know we're, we're representing all the rules. Uh, but um, you know, we knew that we couldn't film a video with all five band members. That just like wasn't something we could do. But we were like, what if we do a photo shoot and capture um, capture the band doing different things and do over 50 life-size cardboard cutouts of the band members so I can party with the cardboard cutouts. And that's what we did. And there was uh, a great uh, a great printing house in Toronto uh, that would come up together for us. And a uh, huge shout-out to Nathan Nash, who's a local Hamilton photographer who took all the photos. So uh, there is Max Kerman of the Arkells talking about Pub Crawl. This time last year, when all of this came out, when the video for Pub Crawl came out, and, uh, of course, the cardboard cutouts and, and them doing a virtual uh, version of that. You know, playing it again, I'm not sure if... Um, if we feel good about that or not, because obviously as you're listening to Max talk about what it was like a year ago, it kind of feels the same sort of situation that we're in now. Uh, so why not put your Arkells on and um, we'll move on from there. Coming up, the kids joining us around the big round table coming up after the 4.30 news. You don't want to miss that. Let's bring in Michael Tobe, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. He is with us now. Michael, thank you for your time. I hope you're well. I am, Scott. Hope you are, too. Michael, uh, I'm watching the Prime Minister's news conference earlier this morning, and, Mm -hmm. you know, you know what my feelings are anyway, but I I just Mm -hmm. keep shaking my head and and just keep asking myself how he keeps getting away with things time and time again. Uh, He was asked by uh, by reporters, uh, you look across the country, east to west, every province is in the exact same scenario. Everyone's lining up for tests. Everyone's looking for the booster, all that sort of thing. Uh, sort of thing. He said today uh, that uh, he has sent more than enough vaccine and tests to all the provinces. And I guess my question is, then why does every single province seem to be having the same sort of situation? And he, he basically came out and blamed the provinces, with the exception of New Brunswick, which I'm sure yeah. you can, you know, the population of New Brunswick, you could fit in the backyard of somebody's Scarborough home. But, yeah. you know, he, 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 he refuses to take any sort of role here it seems yeah but you know this is a problem that's been going on since the very beginning it's just pointing fingers in one direction or another the feds have pointed to the provinces the problems is the point of the cities and they all move back it's basically a big triangle that just keeps returning but i agree with you that the buck stops in ottawa and really a lot of the delegation of the vaccines and the way they're brought out is you know part of the federal purview it really is up to Ottawa to make these decisions and to say that, well, it's the province's fault. We've sent enough out. I think, unfortunately, we've looked at some of the limits and numbers that they've discussed, and we found that over the past, you know, let's say a little less than two years, but it's been going on for a couple, um, we've just seen a lot of this indecision and indecisiveness when it comes to ordering the vaccines, deploying the vaccines, sending out the vaccines, and making sure the vaccines arrive in the provinces so they can hand them out. So it's easy to say that the provinces are at fault from Justin Trudeau's side, but the fact is the provinces have nothing to do with the ordering of the vaccines. That directly comes from Ottawa. So when you ask me why is he saying all this, 
you know, simply he doesn't want to accept the blame for whatever purpose and whatever reason. God knows if we'll ever find out exactly why, but there certainly have been a lot of tro- problems up at the top, and I guess we shouldn't be surprised when he says something like this, but be frustrated. I mean, I think we should all be extremely frustrated when we keep hearing this sort of nonsense that we've been hearing from the feds since the very beginning. So is this a supply issue at the federal level, or is it a distribution level at the provincial level? Because people are asking, why are we going through this again? I mean, is that is that a valid question? It's. A, I mean, everything is a valid question. It's worth asking. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking it. I don't really know. I mean, I, I a lot of it directly comes from Ottawa, so that would basically say supply. Distribution, yes, we know that there have been problems in Ontario and other provinces. We're fully aware of that. And, the, and you know, the various premiers have acknowledged that, too. Nothing has been perfect during this. I mean, that's not a surprising statement, but there have been a lot of mistakes that one day, years from now, people will go back, do final reports, look at what went right, what went wrong, the good, bad, and the ugly, so to speak, and then try to figure out how to create a better game plan if this ever happens again, which it most likely will at some point. Um, but yeah, I think we have to basically start at the top. It's supply, and that's not being made from a partisan, which I am. I think that really is the issue, because it's the supply that leads to distribution. So if you don't have enough supply, you can't distribute to a lot of people. And the fact is that every premier, including Doug Ford in Ontario, are all saying, get your booster, get your booster. They're right. But if the supply isn't there, well, those words just basically go up in the air. Well, again, he, he sort of to alluded today like New Brunswick it w- w- was was now the poster child for this, which yeah. I'm not sure why, because they're having the same issues. They are. Uh, and again, if you watch if you watch the nightly news from British Columbia all the way across to to the Maritimes, I mean, you're seeing the exact same problems. Yeah, this is a coast-to-coast-to-coast issue, so to speak, and you're absolutely right. Why New Brunswick was isolated, I'm not 100% sure. Anything I've ever read, and you've caught it, Scott, it seems to be that they are having the exact same problems that we are in Ontario, that Alberta, Saskatchewan, B.C., everyone else is suffering from. So maybe they're doing things a little bit better in terms of distribution, and that's fine, that's to their credit, but it can't be that much different We've never seen information that shows it's a lot different. And why they're being isolated or why they're being praised, as you said, as the poster child, is beyond me because nothing is working properly here. And the rate of COVID, is, you know, through Omicron, the variant, is still rising in every single province, including, yes, New Brunswick. Uh, and 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 it seems like with the first and the second and the third, whatever waves you want to wade into here, it's always the provinces that seem to be taking the heat and not the yeah. prime minister. And and I just don't understand that. I don't either, and I'm sure they don't. I, but I mean, look, obviously they know it's a game that's being played with Ottawa, so naturally they're going to get attacked. The, <clears throat> the finger or when your point when the finger is being pointed at you, especially in politics, you know that there's always a reason why behind the scene as obviously to the advantage in this case of the federal government to take the heat off them as much as they possibly can it's just really simply a question of how many people believe this and i think as time goes along less and less canadians are buying this matter you know or at least buying the position that the federal government is blameless so to speak or has very little to do with this and should not be blamed all that much i think at the beginning during the first wave of covid 19 there were obviously a lot of Canadians who were at least willing to give the federal government 
you know, a sober second thought. Let, you know, give them a bit of a break. You know, it's very difficult. We understand that there were no vaccines in place. And then when the vaccines were being created, everyone was sort of rushing out, except, unfortunately, our prime minister, who decided to go into bed with a little-known Chinese firm called CanSino that, in the end, you know, produced a product many months after the fact and many months after our deal with them. Was but we over. seem to be more upset with Doug Ford than any of that, yeah. which is just bizarre. With, and and today, Alege, today, Alege poll out that says that Doug Ford, if there was an election tomorrow, would be reelected as premier. Which, you know, I mean, if you listen yeah. to the media, that's, uh, boy, he, he's, he's the target right now. Yeah, he is the target. And, you know, I think part of the reason he is the target is because he is so popular. He is one of two right-leaning premiers right now who is quite popular. Trust me, Jason Kenney in Alberta would like to have Doug Ford's popularity right now and popular numbers because he's struggling right, you know, based on issues that he's had, which, again, are understandable. You know, he was the, he created them. But yeah, Doug Ford actually would be reelected today. And whether your listeners like it or not, Doug Ford has handled things as well as he possibly could or can. And, and you know, you have to be honest about whether a premier is on the left of the political spectrum or right of the political spectrum. It's been a very difficult issue to manage. This is not something that yeah. politicians normally deal with. They can't really completely deal with it. It's not part of a political handbook or playbook. It's something completely new and foreign. And for that reason, you can be critical very quickly of Doug Ford for the way he's handled certain aspects with COVID-19, some of the restrictions that he brought forward, like in parks and other things that he had to pull back. Or you can argue that, you know, the schools have been shut a lot. Why, why, why? It's because it's been a very difficult situation. But look, as we head into Christmas and we head into a season where hopefully we can have a little bit of downtime and a little bit of cheer, which would be nice. I think we have to start taking, you know, a a very deep breath and realize that everything that Doug Ford has been doing may not necessarily be to your liking, or it may be to your liking, but he has done things as well as he possibly could. And the proof is in the pudding. Those poll numbers right now is something that any premier, left or right, would like to have. And next year at this time, if Doug Ford is still sitting at those numbers, trust me, he'll be reelected and comfortably so. Michael Tobe, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times. Michael, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. My pleasure. Merry Christmas to you and the listeners. Diana Weeks in the newsroom. All the kids making their way around the big round table to talk about the real pressing issues of the day and uh, give us uh, their opinion of all of what is happening. Uh, Good afternoon to Diana and Will. Great to have you here around the big round table once again. Good afternoon. And so let's start with the poll question of the day, as we always do, and then we'll try to get off COVID as quickly as we possibly can, because really there's nothing new to report here. Uh, have you booked your COVID shot? Right now, 61% of you in our very scientific poll are saying yes, that you have. Uh, I was fortunate in that it rolled down to below 50 or 50 and above. <laughs> um, uh, 50 and above, uh, just before the Omicron thing all kind of started. Uh, and uh, I, I, I think I got... I mine on the second day so i'm in for next week um but uh that was sort of after the initial rush but before this rush started so i I feel kind of lucky in that sense i got in under the wire uh diana you're a bit younger than me or or where are you in all of this game well i didn't um you know try right away when they opened up on monday i tried neither yeah i tried in the afternoon and i you know it was kind of just 
freezing and not really getting me anywhere. So I thought, okay, you know, it's probably just overloaded. So then I tried again yesterday, a few times actually, morning, afternoon, and then a little bit later on. Um, And I was getting in, but what was happening was it was saying that there were no appointments available. And I mean, I selected a lot of days, like I selected days even into January and it said nothing. So, uh, and that was just through the city of Hamilton website. And then I did, you know, the pharmacy route and I just tried to go to a couple pharmacies like on the web to see like if they had anything yeah. and they said there was all waitlist, waitlist, waitlist. So, no, I haven't had any luck yet. You know, when I we were uh when would this have been? Um uh, my let's go back to the second dose. I can't remember if it was the first or second. And, you know, I I've been fortunate enough to get all of mine at the same uh the same pharmacy, which is the local one that we go to here. Um so I, I remember and I can't remember if this is the first or the second uh, injection I can't remember but uh, I remember uh, the day you become eligible trying to get on and of course it was impossible and then like a week later just phoning up the pharmacy and saying hey like yeah yeah what's your name blah 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 and booking one and and getting in no problem it was after that initial rush that first week that especially now uh, because you know the first and second uh, doses they were bringing it down in increments of 10 years so uh, I think it was a little I don't think it was quite as demanding whereas uh, with the booster, it didn't seem a lot of people were really jumping on it, so they lowered her down to 18, and then all of a sudden, everybody jumps on. And uh, I think it's a little bit more difficult this time out with a booster, just simply because they haven't gone down in the, you know, in the increments of 10 years. Will, what's your experience? Uh, well, see, Ted put me in touch with a friend of his named Jimmy who makes his own vaccine in a bathtub and said, uh, so I'm all set up. I'm good to go. No, don't a trust A guy any- in a white van. He's got them. A guy in a uh, white van off, down by the river. Off white van. It needs a car washer, too. There uh, you go. That's, that's rust. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no, do not trust any bathtub vaccine, folks. That's your. Uh, that's my disclaimer sound, right sound here. like Donald Trump here. What yeah. are we, uh <laughs> No, I made it myself. No, uh, I actually, I just got lucky. People are going to hate me for this. Uh, I I had a good experience actually with the Hamilton website, got lined up, and I am all set to uh, get vaccinated with my booster in the very near future. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it worked out, but it does You're seem... the youngest guy in your first. Yeah. It's weird. It's, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> you know, I, it's one of those things. It's like George Costanza on Seinfeld. You get a bunch of stuff going good for you in a row. I'm definitely going to get clipped by a bus or something else. Then, no, you know? <laughs> you, just go buy a lottery ticket. It might be a good time for yeah, that. All yeah, right. it could be. Let's move on. Uh, obviously, uh, holidays in many households, uh, you know, are taking a turn. I, I, we're, we're just realizing this, I think, this week that, you know, we can't do that. We can't do this. And what really disappoints me is I won't, at this point, be able to see my mother in long-term care, uh, which is another, um, you know, heartbreaking thing. But, um, you know, we are trying to adapt. We all got, you know, issues that, that, that we can't do or something that we want to do or people we want to see and we can't. And you know, and you know, this year it even seems like we're more so stuck. Although I'm not quite sure, uh, but it certainly doesn't feel as great as we thought it would. So we're trying to switch things up a bit because it's more of the same. And it was funny. My wife was talking about well, what do you guys want for dinner because it's typical. And, and my wife is an absolutely phenomenal cook, and and does an absolutely great job, and does a huge spread uh, every holiday. The typical turkey and what have you. And my kids are like. 
Nah. So, I think it broke. I think oh, it broke man. her heart. I think it broke her heart because after all of this, they go. You know what? I'm not really a big fan of the big turkey dinner. And it's like, you know, since we're not having people over, can we just like barbecue? Oh, so no. I think that's. I think that's. Well, what... <laughs> hang on. They and could you be on something. And then, you know, I thought, yeah, I'm good. I'm fine with that. I don't necessarily need, you know, I, you know, we've, we've had our share over the years. I could do something totally different. So what are your thoughts on that? Any uh, around your holiday feast? Is it the same? Is it the favorites every year? Or are you going to, you know, a little outside the box this year? Listen, my whole life revolves around food. If you know me, you know <laughs> that every time I go somewhere, where's the food? What are we having? What are we eating? I love food. I love it so much. Now, on Christmas, we are supposed to go to Mac. Do you love to cook? Do you love to cook? I do, yes. And yeah, my husband yeah. is also a very good cook as well. So both of us mm. enjoy cooking together. Uh, we were supposed to go on Christmas Eve this year to my husband's family side, who happens to be Ukrainian. And I look forward oh. to their delicious food on Christmas Eve. They do the, you know, the cabbage rolls, the pierogi, yeah. the borscht, all that. Homemade. And they canceled this year because of COVID. And obviously, yeah. you know, we just found out and it sucks. But I get it because a lot of them are a little older. But uh, so we're just having a little quiet Christmas Eve with my in-laws. And uh, we're, we're, we're going to do the Ukrainian thing despite it. So my husband went to a Ukrainian church yesterday and got some pierogies. And so oh, support the local here. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're the local bake sale. That is great. Yeah. Curbside cabbage rolls. Yeah. So we're going to patch together <laughs> a little one for just the, you know, the few of us. And uh, I think it'll be good. So what would it have been like for you to have a tradition, would the traditional Ukrainian stuff still have a turkey at the base of it all, as well as all that cabbage rolls and stuff, or would it be something completely different? I don't even, I think they also do a turkey, I'm pretty sure. I don't, but I I know that my my mother-in-law is also doing a ham and a turkey, so she's doing a bunch of stuff too. So, man. Yeah. All right. I'm hungry now. Yeah, uh, right. So, well, outside the box this time, Will, or the same? Oh, well, now you got me thinking. I'm like, ooh, what about Christmas pulled pork? Or I could even imagine uh, ooh, some uh, some yeah. uh, festive charcuterie at your house, Scott. But <laughs> <laughs> I am sorry. I am all for getting rid of the turkey at Christmas, but it cannot be replaced by charcuterie. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is nothing more than a glorified meat platter, as Scott Radley says. That will Lunchable. not cut it. Lunchable. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather order pizza than have lunch. Of well, all there this. we go. Or even the barbecue idea. But no, uh, this year going with uh, the the turkey, various sized turkeys over the years. There's been some years when I've done just, you know, small, small turkey rolls. Even those are good. Ooh. And uh, one year we did some ham. But yeah, uh, turkey, I'm all for it because you don't get to just binge that every, uh, every yeah, you don't get day of yeah, the year, yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah, the pumpkin yeah. pie and the turkey. You need that. Give it. Yep. And the leftovers, too. That's yeah. the other great thing about it all. All right, we're going to save best present for later on in the week. It is 445. Thank you very much, Roundtable. William Erskine, Diana Weeks, uh, much appreciated, as always. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right, we've been talking about all week uh, Omicron and how it has changed uh, what we thought the holiday was going to be like and uh, real high vaccination rates and we're moving in the right direction and then Omicron. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, it's a whole new ball game. Let's bring in Dr. Isaac Bogosh, staff physician, general internal medicine, infectious disease associate professor, Department of Medicine, University of Toronto, and with us now. Isaac, as always, thank you so much for the time. I hope you're doing well. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, a bit busy these days, but uh, all is good. 
I can imagine we're seeing you all over the media. And we we appreciate uh, you taking the time to help us here today. Your thoughts on where we are with this new Omicron variant? It's been a while now. We've had time to to kind of digest uh, uh, what is happening to us. I guess we don't know all of the information yet on on severity and such. But but what are your thoughts as we're at this stage and heading into the holiday and after you've had some time to think about this and digest where we are? Yeah, I mean, it, it's clear that it's, uh, it, you know, if we didn't know about this uh, just over a month ago, and now it's the majority of cases we have in Ontario, uh, spreads very quickly, chips away at immunity from prior infection or from vaccination. But I think one of the big messages is that the vaccines still work, right? Uh, three doses is better than two, but it's not like two doses does nothing. And yeah, I think we're going to see some very pr- a strong protective effect of the vaccines and keeping people from getting very sick, keeping people from landing in hospital and preventing people from having serious outcomes. So that's good. I mean, I still think there's caveats like, you know, we've only known this thing's been around for a short while. I think it's hard to say that we know everything about it because we obviously don't. It gets annoying when you hear some people with these narratives that, you know, this is the end of times because of this variant due to its chipping away at the immunity. That's not true. Other people are brushing it under the rug saying the, the data is solid it's a milder variant we all hope it is but uh, you know there's still some caveats uh, we'd like to see this variant uh, how it performs in under vaccinated communities and vulnerable populations obviously we don't want that to happen but we'll have a better idea of the true severity once it does so you know, give it another couple of weeks you were talking about how uh, many, uh, and we're certainly seeing this as, uh, because we're in a vaccinated world, those that are, and there's lots of it that have uh, are fully vaccinated but testing positive, but they're certainly not getting ill. And if they are getting ill, it's very, very mild, certainly not compared to what we were seeing uh, earlier on in this pandemic. Is this a turning point? And I, I know I'm asking you to look into a crystal ball here, doctor, but are we at a turning point in the sense that, you know, this seems to be coming to be becoming the dominant variant and it's pushing out uh, Delta, which it appears to be uh, a bit more harmful at this point. The fact that we have something that we can live with, well vaccinated, and is spreading, is this a turning point for this? So, In other words, instead of trying answers. to fight it, we're living with it. Yeah, I mean, two answers. Number one, I don't know. And number two is, I sure hope it is <laughs> it's a turning point. Yeah. I, I mean, I always thought that this, pandemic would end with a whimper not a bang but maybe it ends with a bang and maybe this is that bang and i'm not saying covid's going away because it sure isn't it's going to be around for a long long time however you know maybe this wave obviously we with the caveat that we don't want anyone to get infected we need to take steps to prevent infections but this is so transmissible this is going to infect a lot of people uh, it's going to people who have been vaccinated are going to, for lack of a better word, get boosted if they get infected. People who have had prior infection and have some immunity are going to get boosted if they're infected. And people without any prior immunity are get, who get this will have some degree of protection after uh, recovery from this infection. Again, I don't want anyone to get infected. We got to take steps to slow this down and protect people. But the fact of the matter is, it is sweeping through Canada and much of the world. And, you know, maybe subsequent waves of COVID aren't going to be as detrimental as the ones we've had. And, you know, this is hopefully this isn't wishful thinking. You know, I fully acknowledge there's so much uncertainty here. And I fully acknowledge that I don't know the answer. But maybe subsequent waves will be less severe and not impact society as the prior ones have because of the buildup of community level protection, hopefully through vaccination. Unfortunately, some through uh, recovery from infection.
Many are wondering how we are or how we got to where we are right now, considering where we have been. In other words, couldn't we have seen this coming? Couldn't couldn't we have been better prepared? Could we not have done this? But it seems right the way across the province, whether it's from B.C. to Atlantic Canada, everybody's dealing, every province is dealing with the same thing. You know, a hard time getting testing, lining up for testing and for and for for vaccines. Um, what do you say to those that say we shouldn't be in a place like this, considering where we are? How, how do you answer that? I would agree completely. I mean, listen, I don't think it's reasonable to say that people knew that a variant like this was going to come at the time it was going to come. No one did. But, you know, how many times have we chatted, you know, for months and months and months about the possibility for variants to emerge overseas and and sweep through communities? I mean, this, this is not news to anybody. We've discussed this for forever. Plus, you know, even variants or not, in the summertime, in the summertime, we knew there was going to be a rise in cases as we entered the fall and winter months. I mean, this was also discussed. The other thing, too, is, you know, I, personally, I thought our Delta vaccine plan was reasonable, a little slow, but reasonable. I really liked the gradual progression of eligibility and the expansion of eligibility for third doses. I, I would have sped it up a bit, but I liked that slow and steady approach. But you knew you were going to provide third doses. Plus, you knew there was going to be a flu season, which would require vaccination. Plus, you knew that the 5 to 11-year-old crowd was going to be vaccinated in the fall. There's converging uh, (laughs) vaccine campaigns. So, like, where's the infrastructure to vaccinate a large number of people? Now, listen, it got put together pretty quickly, but and the province is vaccinating a ton of people, like over 200,000 people per day for the last couple of days. That's impressive. But, you know, it's this it's more of the same. Right. People are having difficulties getting out. People are getting turned away. There's shortages in certain locations. The signups cumbersome like we shouldn't be doing this in December of 2021. What can provinces learn from this? What can the federal government learn from this? Oh, I wish we had an hour. Uh, because nobody seems to be nobody seems to be doing it right. I mean, if you look to any part of the world, I mean, there's little pieces that are, oh, that's good, oh, that's good, but there, there's nothing consistent there. Everybody's having the same problem. I think we should, if we recognize that COVID isn't going away and that you're going to need to be nimble and be able to change your policy quickly uh, in real time, I, and, and you can communicate that effectively, that'll be helpful. I think we need to maintain vaccine infrastructure because there might be a time. I don't know when. I don't know when. Is it in a year? Is it in two years? But it's going to we, we, we need to maintain some infrastructure to rapidly vaccinate populations. Um, I think rapid testing will still be really necessary moving forward. And, and uh, even when things settle down and we should be distributing those and teaching people how to use it. The other thing, too, that I think that's on the near horizon is. Let's get ahead of the pills. Like, we're going to have some tablets to treat COVID very, very soon. Mm. Um, let's get ahead of this. Let's make, you know, let's figure out who should use them, how they're distributed. Are we going to give them out in pharmacies? Are we going to give them out in family physicians' offices? Like, you know this is coming, and it's coming in the near future. Like, plan ahead. Let's, let's, let's have a plan so we're not caught flat-footed again. Dr. Isaac Bogosh with us, staff physician, general internal medicine, infectious disease associate professor, University of Toronto. Doctor, as always, thank you so much for the time and all you're doing and the crew. Be well. 
Right Oddly enough, uh, one of the days this week, they're all kind of melding into one again. Uh, the kids were uh, and I were chatting around the round table about uh, Christmas music and how, um, you know, we keep hearing the same old um, traditional and I don't want to say crap, uh, but, you know, after you hear it for a while, uh, do you want to hear Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney anymore? Sure. And then there's, no, no you don't. Nope. And then there's the hard then, pass then there was, on that one. Yes, yes, and uh, and I think the Elton John one, um, for some reason, stands out. I re- I'll never forget the very, very, very first uh, Christmas I missed with my family when I first started in radio, and I was working in Sarnia. And Christmas morning, uh, I, I'm I'm playing the hits in Sarnia, and calling up my family, and all, all I can hear is them opening presents. Oh, I'm having a great time, and I'm like, oh, I'm the airplane. And that was the first time I heard Paul McCartney uh, that Christmas song, and I think that's why for me. It just has never worked and it always sort of it brings up the memory of the first one that first christmas that i spent away from home uh but oddly enough uh, we were chatting about new christmas music and both will and diana have have been constantly pushing the arkells and uh pub crawl which was done last year which is sort of a spinoff of what the band does uh, in the the twelve pubs of Christmas. They kind of go and they um, uh, uh, they go from place to place, and they have a drink at each place, and then the fun ensues. Obviously, couldn't do it last year because of uh, COVID and such. Same predicament this year. But a year ago, we had Max on the show talking about what we kids were talking about earlier, and 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 how do you come up with a new Christmas song? What is is there any advantage to writing a new Christmas song? How difficult is it? I mean, typically we think to, uh, to do a Christmas song around, uh, you know, December 15th. And by then it's just way too late <laughs> because, yeah, you know, it, it takes weeks, if not months, uh, mm-hmm. to get a song recorded and uh, to get it to, get, you know, to all the streaming platforms. But because we had a little extra time on our hand, um, we were uh, approached by Amazon uh, back in the summer asking if we could uh, do a song with them. And for the holiday season, so we got work, got right to work on it. We recorded it in August, and we rolled it out last month. And uh, yeah, now we can say we have a Christmas song under our belt, and it's one that we think is actually good. I think the Christmas uh, catalog is is pretty uh, shallow, uh, and uh, <laughs> I think it's a good one. See, uh, even Max said the the Christmas catalog is kind of shallow. I, I don't know. If he, I don't think he just meant with our cows. I think he meant music in general. Don't you think, Diana? Yeah. I- so I think there needs to be new stuff, and you know that song yesterday that we played the uh, the masked Christmas with the booster. I think we're going to yes. start seeing a lot more of COVID pandemic related Christmas songs, a lot more novelty stuff. Yeah, and I'm surprised there's not more about that. I mean, you know, it's something to be said. I mean, the time that we're going through, it's not necessarily the uh, you know traditional kind of Christmases we're all used to in years past. So uh, you know, know what that you bring up a very valid point Let's here because I one. guess. It, it, <laughs> you know what? And, and well, well, look, obviously the Arkells did. And you would, you, you know, you're thinking, well, gee whiz, if you're going to write a Christmas song, why gear it around a, pay, a pandemic? Because it may not fit after the pandemic's over. But here we are a year later. Exactly. And it fits quite nicely. And, and, and we were talking about this earlier. We were, we were talking about.
about this uh, earlier on in the week that I've always thought like, you know, from I'm looking at the business standpoint of music. If you want to make sure you you have a song that continually keeps giving year after year after year, you come up with a great Christmas song uh, because whether people love it or hate it, there's just as as Max said, the pool's kind of shallow. There's not a lot of stuff there. So chances are you might get some, you know, can, you know, consistent revenue coming in long after your band or your act or whatever is over. Yeah, it could be like those two Christmases or something, and we can hopefully it'll be those two, and, not three, and we can sing about how those two Christmases kind of were, you know, yeah. lonely and <laughs> we we're crying into our eggnog. Maybe, <laughs> maybe like it'll be a very yesterday. sad yeah. album. It's a very sad. It's a COVID Christmas. It's an Andy Williams COVID exactly. Christmas. <laughs> and they're all sad. Everybody once around of this. All right, enough of that crap. I don't want any COVID songs anymore. Yeah. Uh, too funny. What do you do? All right, uh, you keep pushing ahead. You keep pushing forward, and you get into the Christmas spirit, the holiday spirit, in any way you can. All right, thanks, kids, as always. And uh, we have another jam-packed hour coming up. Hang around for it. Going to talk about. You know, everybody keeps talking about housing and and the shortage of housing and 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 why we are where we are because we don't build anything uh coming up with measures to uh, hopefully stop the housing crunch uh there's lots here except build we'll talk about that coming up a little later on also more benefits coming out of the federal government and the provincial government into in regard to covid19 and response to it as we are in the wave that we are it's all coming up let's bring in ian lee associate professor sprott school of business carlton university he's with us now ian thank you for the time i hope you're well doing very well thanks uh, we're going to try to squeeze a couple of things in here, Ian. Let's start with uh, the uh, money. We, we were just talking uh, not too long ago about how governments were tra- trying to pull back aid and such as we come out of this uh, global pandemic, or at least hope we were. Uh, now yeah. we're seeing more and more uh, need for it, obviously with capacity restrictions. The feds have expanded their $300 a week uh, benefit. Uh, it was supposed to be for a lockdown, but obviously we're trying to stay out of that, which was a technicality. Yeah. They fix that in Ontario looking at uh, rebates for property tax and energy taxes to help businesses get through what are your thoughts on on this reversal now all of a sudden we're back where we started we're gonna we gotta help these businesses out again well yes and no Scott and I really want to make a sharp distinction and I'm not suggesting don't help people that don't need help of course we do but this is not March 2020 or even June 2020 in other words we shut down the economy then we literally shut everything down and we're not doing that this time. And many will say at 50%, though, you're pretty much doing the same thing, especially if you're talking about hospitality. Some are even deciding yeah. just to keep the doors closed on their own. What are your thoughts? I, 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 I wanted to amplify on that. I, I think that to use that great line from the movie Casablanca, you know, the usual gang of suspects, <laughs> and I don't mean to trivialize it, but hospitality, restaurants, bars, the high uh, per people contact or person to person contact gymnasiums, you know, athletic clubs. Um, those ones are obviously going to be, they, 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 they can't function in this, in this, uh, uh, world. I mean, with, with the, 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 the latest variant, but I think that what we have to do, and I hope that the minister of finance does is, you know, we can't be just rolling out with an open ended checkbook every time another variant comes along because it could go this could go on for years and uh, so i think that what, where i'm going with this is i think that they're going to have to be much more strategic much more targeted than last time i mean where well, there's been stories only in the last two three weeks of ski hills that outfitted their yeah. skills with state-of-the-art technology nobody can argue that that was a 
a necessity or that needed to be done. So we should, yes, the small, we, so they should have a couple of filters uh, on it saying, okay, look, we're not going to subsidize any big corporations. That's ridiculous. Uh, with the possible exception of airlines, because they're so uniquely hit, we're not going to subsidize banks. We're not going to subsidize large employers. And then, and then filter down further and say, look, we'll start with the hospitality restaurants and bars and, and that sector. And that's big enough. And then we'll develop special policies on an as-needed basis for some others, because we can't push out another four or five hundred billion dollars as we did the last time. All right, I'm going to T-bone you again here, Ian, and ask you about something we hadn't planned, but uh, it's obviously coming up. Uh, we've talked about supply chain management. You've explained this to yeah. us beautifully over the year, over the months when we've yeah. talked about supply of vaccine and such. Again, we're seeing the same thing across province, from province to province, east to west, west to east, where people are lining up for tests and they're lining up for vaccine. The Prime Minister said this morning there's more than enough in all of the provinces and blaming it on uh, the provinces for this for these lineups and this happening that we're uh, that we're seeing right the way across the country so can you with your expertise on supply and demand why are we where we are at this stage of a pandemic um it's it's i'm glad you asked that i was on an investor call talking to best investors today about this very question of, of supply chains in canada and and specifically with the, the vaccine and, and I said, I argued, and I think it's a compelling argument, Scott, that we made a mistake from the get-go. And I say we, all the provinces and the Fed, when we first got the vaccines in a year ago, we said, okay, we got to set up a distribution system, and which was absurd. We have a, a distribution system in Canada. Thousands, thousands of pharmacies all across Canada, staffed by professional pharmacists who are used to sticking needles in arms called the winter flu shot and keeping drugs secure that are possibly, you know, uh, uh, valuable, opiates, that sort of thing, painkillers, behind lock and key. That's their core business. So what did we do? We said, oh, we're going to have the bureaucracy go and create yet another bureaucracy called clinics all across the country. We've got to find arenas or buildings that are empty, negotiate leases, go find some people to go and staff them. This was uh, an enormous squandering of time and money when the network, the supply chain for the distribution of vaccines was under our nose, on our face. There are Pharmacies on every street corner in every city I've ever visited in this country, and I've been to all 10 provinces. So my point is, you know, the solution was there. So they said, no, no, we've got to build a brand new solution and duplicate the system we had. And, of course, that creates all kinds of bottlenecks. It creates all kinds of supply uh, uh, problems of getting it out. When they should have, the moment they got their millions of copies of, of the vaccines, they should have pushed them out to every last pharmacy in this country and said, push them into people's arms and we'll reimburse you on a per needle in the arm basis. And the private sector on a decentralized basis is vastly better where they're already in existence, they're set up, they're running, they're staffed, instead of creating this duplicate system. And of course, it's going to cause delays and and, uh, bottlenecks and people uh, frustrated because they can't get a vaccine. So are there, enough te- mistake. are there enough tests and vaccines in the provinces now to do this? Uh, everything I have read, I won't say, speak, uh, I don't want to overstate the case. What I've read, and I've been reading like crazy on this and talking to people in Ottawa, 
they claim, and I'm only going about what I'm told and what, what has been said publicly, there are more than enough vaccines in the country. It's not a shortage of vaccines. It's that they're trying to recreate these duplicate clinics every time. Ian Lee with his associate professor, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. Ian, again, thanks for being nimble and answering anything we're tossing at you. You be well. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks, Scott. Thank you. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Let's continue the political dis- uh, discussion with Henry Jasek, professor of political science at McMaster University. He is with us now. Henry, as always, I hope you're doing well. I sure am. So, Henry, yeah, I know what you're saying, Henry. I can hear I it in your voice. Uh, and that's exactly where I want to start, because obviously our politicians were hoping that we were kind of getting out of this and we were looking more towards recovery, more to the future rather than the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, uh, you know, we at least had better days ahead of us. And then all of a sudden Omicron rears its ugly head and where we are, uh, where we are. Um, we uh, now we're starting to see the Ontario government has announced, um, uh, rebates for property tax and energy for struggling businesses. Uh, the feds have announced their $300 a day, uh, plan will also work for those you don't have to be locked out it's just 50 percent capacity uh because it looks like we're hopefully going to avoid that what are your thoughts on how difficult it is for politicians now to get back into this stuff after we're trying to get away from it well it's really a mind frame they have to have uh it's often been said that the successful politicians uh always plan for the worst and hope for the best and uh the federal government i think uh probably didn't want to say too much over the fall and into October, but I think they were planning for the worst because they suddenly have all these plan, you know, programs to uh, put out uh, for people, you know, particularly small business, but also for people who've had their hours uh, reduced. Uh, so there was a lot of generous things that were thrown out today, but also I'm sure behind the scenes they had worked this all out together with uh, our premier, because he at the university at the same time had another program for small business covering other types of costs. So, you know, uh, so coming out of this, uh, I think your upbeat music at the beginning of this segment, I think, was, uh, you know, captures, <laughs> at least if you're in the small business community, you got to say, listen, uh, boy, I, I've had a lot of pressure taken off of me, at least for the next three months in terms of my profits, uh, taxes that I pay, energy costs. And if you're somebody who works for those businesses that had, you know, been reduced to 50 percent, well, I'm going to get some money, you know, some money, uh, maybe up to $300 a week, to, uh, you know, I um, to pay for, uh, you know, my hours that I haven't been able to have. So it's uh, it's it's an upbeat time for those for those two those two groups for sure. And obviously, it is a different time. Although this, you know, this is a setback. There's no toys about that, and people yeah. are feeling that. Um, it's certainly not what it was. So these benefits uh, seem to be a bit more tweaked to what is needed, as opposed to just a blanket thing. Yeah, I think it's not as big a blanket as it was uh, going in. I think they've learned at both levels. You know, you have to be careful about uh, how you, who you're giving the money to. And I noticed uh, for the, you know, particularly at the, uh, pro- I think it was the provincial level. Uh, no, sorry, the federal level. Yeah, they're not, uh, and then the provincial level as well. They're 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 going to ask for some, uh, you know, paper documentation that you you qualify before they shovel money out the door. And it isn't, you know, it doesn't wait that long. I mean, uh, you know, for the for the businesses and you know that's going to cover their, you know, the uh, restrictions that be beginning in, on December nineteenth. Okay, they'll have to wait until into uh, the, the beginning of January or so. So that but they have to show. 
they have to show the documentation, you know, that this is what I'm paying property taxes if you're going to claim, you know, you uh, have to have 50% of that covered and other kinds of taxes, restaurants and bars, they cut, you know, the government's going to cover cover 50% of your al- alcohol tax and that that's a lot of money. And uh, you know, so uh, it's uh, it, it, they're being uh, the government's being a bit more careful, but it's uh, so they don't they want they don't want to be accused as the provincial government was of wasting a lot of money uh, by the auditor general did it, so they don't want to fall into that trap again. So they're they're careful, but uh, basically uh, it's it's pretty good. So for, you know, for the businesses, and it's a more ca- care, careful rollout, more limited rollout, especially for those industries that are especially hard hit. And, you know, the entertainment industries, the food, bars, the tourism, th- those industries are really are the ones that are really the uh, ones that are going to be taken care of now. Obviously, uh, people are pretty unhappy and, uh, and because it is, I, I think, a bit of a setback and people thought we'd be farther along than, than what we are, this obviously gets directed at politicians. We're seeing long, uh, long lineups across the country, east to west, for uh, COVID testing, for uh, vaccination and such. And many are looking at this and saying, well, why, why didn't we learn anything from the last time of, of going through all this? Although many would, would say the speed of which uh, this this variant has taken off certainly has caught in a lot by surprise but but that being said again we're seeing the provinces taking the hit from east to west oh yeah well i mean because, well certain promise prom, uh, you know provinces have been criticized more by their populations than others so alberta manitoba ontario those the numbers that we've seen that over half the populations you know have said that you know the, the government's not doing a good job on the rollouts uh, compared to some others. You know the, the the maritime provinces, their population generally likes what their governments do. But uh, yeah, it's uh, you. But, but obviously, just, with the maritimes, it's a lot smaller population right, than the rest right. of the world. Uh, and you know, again, you watch the nightly news. I mean, this is happening right the way across the country. Whether it's yeah. British Columbia, whether it's yeah. Manitoba, whether it's Ontario, Quebec, New Brunswick, they've all got the same issue: long lineups for tests that aren't there, uh, and appointments for vaccine that isn't there. Yeah, I, I think, and also part of it's communications. I think like the British Columbia government, like which is is under some stress right now in terms of uh, you know rolling out these sort of things. I, I think the language they have to, used from the beginning about you know how serious this was and now how tough they're going to be. In fact, I think uh, people have liked that language. Uh, I think the the governments that have tried to basically say we're going to get over it fairly fast and you know bright days are coming. And I think that covers, you know, the basically Alberta and uh, Manitoba yeah. to a certain extent here in Ontario. Uh, it, it just lets people down. So I think I think it sometimes is very good to say at the beginning, well, we got a real big problem. We're going to have to hunker down. We're going to have to make our sacrifices. And when you know, and and people just you know accept that, and and basically when you do something, um, you're not you know they're not likely to be as critical. It's probably a you know, probably a big mistake for governments to tell to tell people that you know we we've got this in hand. We're we're going to be over it right away. And I think that's where governments get in their communication problems. Yeah, you can't predict something that you really can't predict. Uh, yeah. New uh, polling out from Leger, kind of surprising considering uh, what we're hearing about provincial governments and such. That has, uh, if there was an election held tomorrow in Ontario, that uh, Doug Ford would regain his majority, thirty-eight percent, a high twenties for the NDP, and down to the mid twenties for the Liberals. Are you surprised with any of that? Well, it's 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 a bounce for the for Ford and and for the provincial government. Uh, he'll still need a little 
little bit more than that to get his majority. And he has to get a majority because, you know, all the other parties, I think, will gang up on him if he doesn't have a majority. So he, it's better, you know, he was hanging around the 32. So going up six points, you got to say that's good for him. Um, the fact that uh, that the liberals are in third place, that doesn't surprise me because they, I mean, they have a big problem in terms. I haven't seen any uh, high-quality people come forward to say they're going to run for the liberals. The liberals need, you know, that they're in third place, and the only way they can convince people that they're going to get out of third place is really uh, that they, they are going to have very good candidates locally, and I don't see that. And uh, and also the leader, you know, that the liberals have has not set the world on fire. So, yeah, so that there is that why the NDP are showing us. Is that why the NDP, in your mind, is showing a strong second over the over the liberals? Yeah, well, yeah. And I also think that, you know, we have a tradition here in Ontario going back 75 years at least. That is when you have a liberal government in Ottawa, people don't, Hmm. uh, you know, uh, really don't look, you know, look like they want to go for a liberal government provincially. They like to have another party in. So I think, you know, I think at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm suspecting we're going to come down to a, you know, a showdown between the conservatives and the NDP. And I just think that the liberals are going to fade for, you know, the various reasons that I've just mentioned. Henry Jasek with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Henry, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Okay. Thank you, Scott. Uh, we were talking, I think it was during the roundtable, about, um, you know, uh, we, we were thinking because we normally have people over and stuff and we're not doing that this year because we can't. So we were sort of scaling it back. And the kids were saying, like, why do we even have them turkey? I don't want that. And then we're, what, what, what? So we're chatting about, you know, alternative, uh, you know, holiday meals, Christmas dinners, what have you. Uh, and Steve has sent in a note, uh, the turducken. I have, I, I forgot about the turducken. Uh, have you ever had one, Scott? It's a real thing, yes. It is a chicken and a duck and a turkey. Uh, here's a term we can have fun with. Spatchcock. Uh, all three birds are spatchcocked. Fancy gourmet term for butterfly. Uh, you start with a spatchcocked chicken or Cornish hen moving on to inserting that bird into the spatchcocked duck. Then those two birds are put inside the spatchcocked turkey. Maybe I'm saying that wrong. Uh, you can truss this up with some uh, roasting twine. Toss the turducken, uh, turducken, ducken, sorry, turducken into the oven. Uh, best use tinfoil thermometer to stop it from burning. There you go. I, I have heard of this, um, but I have never had the delicacy. I, either one of them, either one of all the three of these all rammed into each other. Uh, but maybe Scott Radley has. Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up after 6 o'clock tonight. You can also read him in your Hamilton Spectator, where he's a columnist. And he's here now. Scott, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Uh, I am very well. I have not enjoyed that. Um, I know very much. I, I, I know. Now, I'm, what does that mean? You've had it and didn't enjoy it, or you no, haven't no, even attempted this? I, I've never had it. it. It's always seemed to me that nature has built animals to come out of each other, not to go back inside <laughs> of each other. Um, that is a very interesting observation. I never thought of that. But uh, no, it, but this would—I mean—I think it sounds delicious. But wrap some bacon sure. and add another, uh, you know. Uh, yes, you, well, there you go. You you know what is it? We can't even start with a turducken without adding bacon. Why do we have to add bacon to everything? Oh, because there has to be a complete coat of bacon around to hold in all the juices and everything. But sure. It's still, it's still vastly better. Did you ever? I don't know if you ever used to watch the show Everybody Loves Raymond, where they had the tofurkey. Yep. Where they brought out the tofurkey the one year, uh, the entire tofu jiggling bird that was held together with sticks with the tofu. See, yeah. that to me, maybe if your kids are complaining, 
If they're giving you hard time, we don't want turkey. All right. All right. We'll bring you the <laughs> give them a cheap Give them a cheap alternative, something fake. Yeah, well, we'll see how you like it. You want to complain? Good. You're getting soybean residue. Enjoy. So are you uh, are you a traditionalist when it comes to Christmas dinner? Do you do the traditional thing? I, as I, I don't know if you heard the preamble, we we I think we might barbecue this year just to mm. switch it up because you know we just don't have the you know the the people coming that we normally do. That sounds delicious. Yeah, we we are. Uh, we'll occasionally, if we're really being wild, we'll throw a piece of ham in there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know it, we are. But we're in the same position. We. We have a family, my wife's sister and her family come over every year for Christmas, and one of them just got the dreaded positive test. And yeah. so um, we are, uh, the four of us are, are having Christmas. And it's, you know, that's great because I like my family. I, I mean, wouldn't it be horrible if you really hated your family and you couldn't have anyone else and you were stuck? I mean, thank goodness. That's not <laughs> There's the a case. lot of people in that predicament. I'm sure to be there honest. are. I'm yeah. sure there are. But yeah, so it's, it's but no, we're going to stick with, I think, the, uh, you know, it's Christmas. You're, you're, I think you're supposed to, right? Although, you know what? Who's to say you couldn't chop up the turkey and do it on the barbecue? I mean, it'd be delicious. Yeah, really. That good point. I'm, yeah, you know what? I have, I, I've, I've seen it done many times, but I've never done a turkey on a barbecue. All right, uh, you, you bring up an, an interesting point about uh, obviously smaller settings this time out, similar to last year, I guess. I don't know. Um, and and you, you know, my wife and I were talking, and it's like, well, it's great because it's just um, you know her and I and the boy and the girl, and and then the kids very much apted, uh, ap- aptly reminded us. That's the way it's been for the last two years. We don't yeah. need more of the same. So, you know, maybe one will go out the front yard, one will go out the backyard. Who knows? The thing we just had the discussion with is this, uh, my wife's sister, who we also do Christmas Day with, they come to our place on Christmas Day traditionally. We go to mm-hmm. their place on Christmas Eve. Well, that's out yeah. too. Yeah. And so we were sitting here last night saying, so what what do you do on Christmas Eve then? Because for as long as we've been married, that's been what we've yeah. done. And yeah. so, are, I mean, are we going to sit here and watch Love Actually? <laughs> Sorry, I'm gagging myself right now. Um, like, what do you, what do you do? What's what's the tradition on Christmas Eve when there's no people around? I, what I, do the kids say about that? Because you know, they, we always remember. Oh, it's all about the kids. Well, yeah, you know, the kids are teenagers now. So, yeah, <laughs> how do they feel yeah. about it all? Uh, more than that, actually, more than teenagers. They're, you yeah. know what? They're, um, they have not been part of the conversation yet. They were not drawn into this because they were both away yesterday. Uh, but you know what? I, I suspect that probably what will end up happening is um, we will do what we do most New Year's Eve now, which is sit around and eat. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> and it. Watch yeah. Something and, you know, just keep Get the cool. board games out. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. And, and I, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, really, I know that it sucks. I know that it's disappointing. But, I mean, honestly, when you think about what the alternatives are, it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's important we keep it all in perspective. All right, Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show. It is coming up right after the 6 o'clock news. You can also... Yeah, go for it. Go, go, go. Uh, Tonight, uh, assuming he picks up the phone, we are supposed to be... Have you ever watched Christmas Vacation, Scott? Yeah. The guy who now owns Eddie, Cousin Eddie's RV is coming on the show. He bought it a few years ago, and he takes it around to shows and stuff. So they, I remember that actually, guy. It's not actually Cousin Eddie. That would have been even better, although he's... No. Now. Um, but, yeah, so we're, we're going to be talking about Christmas movies and, uh, and the owner of Cousin Eddie, who lives in a beautiful enclave of Atlanta. And then there's this 
as they He's got that in the driveway. The yeah. yeah, I'm sure the neighbors love it. Anyway, that's coming up. <laughs> Scott Radley, Scott Radley Show tonight after 6 o'clock. Read him in your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, have a great show. Thanks so much. Be well. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Will and Diana for participating. As always, we leave it to you for the last word. Bruce from Hamilton, a little bit of advice. Hopefully it's good advice for you all. Get vaccinated. Wear your mask. Be positive. Test negative. Happy holidays. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.